Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 408 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearmsauctions.com, where you set the price on guns, ammo, and accessories. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our theme today is a Liberty Lobby. Liberty Lobby. That's like the Liberty commercial. That's yeah. great. Yeah. The Liberty Lobby. Right. I like it's it. The Liberty Lobby. And our guest is Michael Infanson. Michael is a chief lobbyist for the Arizona Citizens Defense League and managing partner at EPIC Policy Group, where he covers a multitude of policy areas focused on firearms rights and firearms related businesses, veterans issues, motorcycle rights, and economic development for small businesses. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hi, folks. How are you? Very good. And whenever we interview very good friends, I think we get a little bit silly and have a little bit more fun. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, we are very good friends. We get to work together um, in your capacity as the chief lobbyist of the AZCDL. And I'm the vice president of the AZCDL. And uh, technically, you're one of my bosses. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I don't feel that way because I'm constantly just leaning on you and learning on you, which really truly is appropriate, right? You hire to fill in your areas of weakness, right? You, you bring yes. people around you that know more than you do. And so, so that I actually, is- I actually just wrote a blog on uh, on leadership about that staff to your weakness. Oh, fantastic. What let's talk about your blog real quick. Where, where can people find that? Uh, in fanson.blogspot.com or blogger, whatever it is, uh, .com. I think uh, I just, it, it's, uh, I, I named it what almost 20 years ago. Sojourning sojourners postulation. Um, you know, we just travel through this life and, and it's just my random thoughts on, on things as they, as we go through. I love that. So, you know, you were joking about, you were kind of joking at the start about, about, you know, things and, I think Michael's job is probably one of the most serious jobs that you could have. I mean, it's so important. The things that you do under the table, you know, under, no one sees. Right. Not talk, under the table. Not, not under the, but no. behind the we're, scenes. Again, we're joking, but <laughs> behind the scenes that that no one even could ex- imagine the things it's, that you do. It's true. So what is a, a nice guy like you, Michael, doing in a business like being a lobbyist? Well, it happens when you go to law school and don't want to be an attorney. Uh, you have a little bit of integrity now seriously it's uh it's about service above self Uh, i was in uh, a service organization in high school uh called interact which is uh uh, sponsored by the rotary club and uh it just kind of led from there Uh, i was in interact for you know my entire high school time uh joined the marine corps 
and just kept serving our community through pastoring a church, through uh, working in the education field. Uh, I was a college counselor for, for over 10 years, uh, helping military uh, go to school. So just kind of leans into that. So he served from high school until now. He's still serving. Yes, and thank you for your service. Yeah. Absolutely. So you you used two particular uh, job descriptions in one sentence. You said lawyer and lobbyist. So <laughs> why why? Let's just talk about the lobbying part. Why do lobbyists get such a bad reputation when I know? that the work you do with the AZCDL is very freedom oriented, which serves everybody, even people that don't want their freedom, apparently the, the anti-gun lobby, you're fighting even for their rights. So how do, how do we end up with such a bad name for lobbyists? Because most people don't understand what lobbyists actually do. I'm just an advocate. Um, you know, some lobbyists are, are nothing but hired guns. Um, you know, to use the pun. Um, and there are others like myself who actually refuse clients if it goes against our core beliefs and, and our, our integrity. Um, I've dropped clients because they don't listen. Uh, they want to go do their own thing. I refused client after client after client. Uh, you know, plus you have convicted lobbyists like Jack Abramoff, uh, who scammed his clients out of millions uh, with the Indian casino deals in the early 2000s. You know, so and politicians, too, they say, well, we're not we're not controlled by lobbyists. Well, you know, it's with all the clients that we have here at Epic. We represent a little over half a million Arizonans um, through different organizations that we represent. So, you know, it's easier for a politician or, or you know, regulatory board to talk to one person instead of five hundred thousand. Well, it's so true. And I, I think it is like anything. Like right now, there's this weird pushback. I, I think it's weird uh, against police officers, like trying to vilify all police officers when I personally believe it's a very noble profession. And then there are some people that go into it who have less than noble um, ideas that that they enact. As I, It has to be the same with every single um job title i would say um and so i think lobbies goes right in with that what do you think um i i agree you know there's uh, uh i lean on conservative constitutional freedom orientated policies uh or policy areas uh, personally um i have staff members who do the same as well but you know we've worked with uh, the aclu on things that you know, there's a, a lobbyist here that's a very progressive lobbyist. I love working with her. Um, she's smart. She's articulate. And there, there are some things that we can agree on and we can work together on. But, you know, there are others that are far right that, yeah, our ideals may. Oh, you froze. May line up. Up, but and to make a dollar, we need to remember uh, in the political world that we have a duty to our constituents as, as a politician and, and as a lobbyist too um, to, to serve them 
uh, efficiently and with integrity. And that's lost uh, in a lot of areas. That's so true. And, um, you know, something that you and I, I don't know that we necessarily talk about it in terms of, you know, the importance of, of being a statesman and statesmanship and, you know, making the mission, the mission and not it being about ego or about party affiliation or that sort of thing. Um, because the second amendment is for everyone. It's, it's a non-political issue that has become political, but I think that you excel at keeping all of that muck out of the work that you do. And, you know, sometimes on the side, we might want to I'll, I'll say me, I might want to make a joke uh, at, at the at the expense of maybe one of our more liberal um, politicians or whatever. And, and you always give me a real good check on that. And you say, now, look, this person may not work well with us on guns, but I have an awesome relationship with them. Like you just said about the, the uh, progressive lobbyists, an awesome relationship with them for maybe the veterans things or maybe the motorcycle uh, work that you do. And I just, I think that's a rare quality and um, I appreciate that about you. It helps check me when when I'm feeling a little frustrated and frisky. Uh, and that's a good thing to have a friend like that. Well, it's, we forget there, there's such ritual in, in politics to stay in policy. Um, you know, I am, I'm honestly, I'm a registered Republican, have been since I was 18 years old. My first vote was for Ronald Reagan in 1984. Um, you know, and, and I've been a, a state committeeman for the party, uh, a PC for, for many years as well. But I have Democrats who, because I am so nonpartisan when it comes to lobbying, I have Democrats ask me if I'm a Democrat. And I get invited to Democrat events and Republicans ask me, are you a Republican? And most of them know um, because I've invited them to, to speak at, uh, at events and things. But it's uh, yesterday there was a Veterans Caucus meeting um, at the state Senate. And there's a, a state representative who is a Democrat who actually ran a couple of our bills this past year. And one of them was a tax cut. And I, I tease her. I said, you know, you're the only Democrat that'll ever, you know, <laughs> run a bill for lowering taxes. And, and she laughed. She goes, well, you know, <laughs> um, you know, so it, 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 you can joke if you have the relationship with, with some of them, but it, it's a relationship building uh, profession, I guess. I like that. That's really good because, you know, you don't want to burn bridges. You, there's always going to be issues out there that you're going to want to talk to them. And that's amazing. I, I think my tongue would be bitten half because I have to bite it so many times. But I, I really respect that, that you can walk into an office of a, you know, a Democratic person and talk to them. And it's not a label. You know, you can just talk and, and work the issues out. That's pretty awesome. Well, I'll give you an example. I was in Washington, D.C. last week, um, lobbying on the Hill, and had a really great meeting with Senator Kelly. Now, we know that he is anti-gun. His wife is Gabby Giffords, and they run the Giffords Institute, uh, which is extremely anti-gun. I did not bring up firearms at all in his office, because there's no way that we can even come to an understanding and a compromise on anything when it comes to that. However, 
we talked about motorcycling and electric motorcycles and I invited him to come out and ride an electric motorcycle and I would set it up. So it's building that relationship to be able to do that. And he signed on to uh, a veterans legislation uh, proposition that I, that I carried to the Hill. So it's, you need to pick and choose your battles and, and, you know, there are certain things that that's not the hill that I'm going to die on because we can always find friends somewhere else. And besides that, it keeps the door open. I mean, so Mike Kelly, he knew that when you came in there that you were pro-gun and you knew that he was anti-gun, but yet you guys were able to talk and, you know, a conversation may come later, mm-hmm. you know, as they feel comfortable and maybe there can be some persuasion there or, or at you least some ideas. You never know, but right. if you are the one that shut the door, then, you know, that's on you. And so that's... Right. Again, that statesmanship and and keeping the main thing the main thing, and you're very good at that, yeah. Michael. Thank you. And um, you're welcome. Thank you, because uh, you're a credit to to the AZCDL and every organization that you um, represent. And so let's just talk about that because we've peppered the conversation with well the motorcycle lobby. Like, what the heck is a motorcycle lobby? What? <laughs> you know, because nobody's trying to ban motorcycles, and they are trying to ban our RAR 15. So help me out here. Well, actually, there was a there was a bill in Congress in the early 70s that wanted to ban motorcycles from um, freeways and U.S. highways. Really? Yes. Like and that, every kind, not just like dirt bikes, but like every, every kind. Really? I think that I'm... is where um, a bait, which started out as uh, a brotherhood against totalitarian enactments. Um, that was the original uh, acrostic for it. Um, and that uh, started in the early 70s. And it was the chopper riders from Easy Riders and, and, and things, the old Harley riders started with that. But in the early 70s, they really tried to outlaw motorcycles from, you know, federal highways. So they mm-hmm. fought back against that. And, you know, the motorcycle lobby has been here ever since. And there's, there's a lot of rights that are restricted with motorcycle riders. I mean, the helmet law, I'm not saying I'm too for or against it, but all the, there's a lot of laws that come up on motorcycles, riding in the center lane uh, in between traffic. Um, you just worked on a bill with that, didn't you? Yes. Yes. I wrote the, uh, the Arizona lane filtering um, bill that passed and signed last year um, that we have. We were the fourth state in the nation to, to have that enacted. Um, which is I'm very proud of Um, and it wasn't about that and there's there's has to be mis there's misconceptions on on bills Um, you know when I write something it's for supposed to be for the good of the entire state not just one particular group of people or anything else and at the time there were 40 percent of motorcyclists that were killed from rear-end collisions at stoplights so how do we mitigate that well allow the motorcyclists to kind of ride the line in between and, and have the protection of the cars around them. Uh, and so far it's, it's worked. I've talked to Phoenix and Glendale and Peoria and Tempe police officers, and, and they've had a, a significant reduction in rear end collisions when it comes to, to motorcycles. And we still have the crashes every day on the road. So, you know, we one step at a time and trying to figure that out. But my goal is to have zero motorcycle fatalities in Arizona. Well, that is so interesting and so important. Um, and then you you said you work on veterans issues. And so, 
you know, I mean, that it could be as, as wide and broad and uh, tall as, as your imagination is. So do you have like a particular focus with veterans issues? Um, I've been focusing the last few years on veterans mental health. Um, and it kind of bleeds over into the veterans homelessness issue. Um, we just had, uh, I wrote a bill that was carried by uh, uh, Senator Shope this year, who is um, head of the Senate Health and Human Services Committee. Um, he kind of picked up the ball when uh, Senator Bartow wasn't reelected for <laughs> mental health issues. Um, ran a bill uh, for a pilot program for suicide prevention. It wasn't supposed to be in the budget, but um, he put it as one of his pet projects to put in the budget, and it was passed this past week. So um, $600,000 to the Department of Veterans Services to train a little bit more um, the Department of Veterans Services employees and train civilians to uh, to notice the indicators for veteran suicide ideations, uh, which has some bleed over to first responders as well because the indicators for suicide for civilians and for veterans and and a lot of first responders are different so we're trying to to make sure that we can see the mental health issues from both both sides and address mental health issues uh, across the board wow i i was unaware of that that's that's very interesting we'll have to be talking about that um and then from that that lobbyist uh, hat that you wear and being able to interact with people of all different, you know, elements along the spectrum of politics, there was um, something that had come up. I remember this past year that somebody, one of the politicians, without realizing what their actions were going to cause, I think were actually working against the veterans issue. And you were able to go in there and say, mm, <laughs> uh, we need to rethink this. And we're able to have a positive, um, persuasive impact on that. Is that too private of a conversation to? to no, unpack? I won't. I won't. I won't name the the legislator, but it, we were talking about the same bill, um, and there was uh, a few legislators voted against it um, in a floor vote, and I was texting him. Uh, during the floor vote. And I said, you know, you need to change your vote. And he said, well, no, this isn't a, this isn't a state issue. It's a federal issue. And I'm like, no, it's not. And he goes, well, call me. And so I called him, ran down to the Capitol. I'm 20, my office is 20 minutes from the Capitol, ran down to the Capitol, um, couldn't meet with him because he had uh, another thing. So um, he called me a little while later and we discussed it. And it, I said, look, this is the way it is. This is my bill. This is why I wrote it. And this is the, the background and made sure I said, look, I sent you a policy brief, you know, which I do for any bills that, that I run. Right. Uh, I, I always write up a policy brief so the legislators can have a pros and cons on it. I, I never, and this is where I differ from a lot of lobbyists. I never say, well, you need to vote for this. Because if you don't, I'm not going to donate to your campaign or something like that. Right. I, I don't ever do that. I support the, the lobbyists, both Democrat and Republican, independent, mm -hmm. that, um, that support the organizations that, that I represent. But I, I always give the legislators 
the pros and cons, the good and bad, who's for, who's against, and tell them, look, make the logical, intellectual decision for what's best for your district. You don't work for me. You work for your constituents in your district. They're the ones you have to answer to. And if you can be competent in in that, then uh, I can't hold it against you. So they should have two different categories. They should have lobbyists. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that go in under and you know, pay and make favors and then advisors, because really it sounds like that's what you are. Mm-hmm. You, you know, people come into office, they have no clue about all the things they can't know everything. Mm-hmm. And so you come in there and you explain, you don't threaten, you just, Hey, this is my opinion. And then they can make their own judgment from that. So, you know, I know that a lot of people think lobbyists are bribers or they're the NRA powerful lobbyists, you know, and all that. And it does give it a bad name, but Really, you're just advising a senator or a representative of the advantage or disadvantages of a bill. The art of persuasion. Um, I, I try to, I advocate for my clients and I, I do the best I can to, maybe there's a legislator that's on the fence and to bring them over to our side of the fence, persuading them on what's best for not only their district, but for the entire state of Arizona or whatever other state that, that I'm lobbying in. Right. Very good. So from your experience, are there certain bills that are maybe harder or easier to get passed? Absolutely. Um, and, I, and that's a great question. Uh, anything with money attached to it, it's difficult to get passed in Arizona. You know, we have so many fiscal conservatives here, um, even on even on the um, even on the Democrat side of the aisle. Um, there's a lot of Democrats that, you know, depending on what part of the country and they can be considered blue dog because they're, they're fiscally conservative. They don't want to spend money. Um, so anything that has any kind of uh, appropriations attached to it is not easy to get across because. You know, everybody wants lower taxes, but, you know, and smaller government and things like that. Um, easiest mm-hmm. um, bills that help our veteran population, but it's not really, quote unquote, easy. Um, there's still a lot of work that needs to go in those bills. Um, you know, veteran bills are usually nonpartisan. Um, you know, you can get support from both sides of the aisle. Absolutely. And so, you know, you've been doing this for... A fair amount of time, I would say. And um, you've worked with a lot of different bills and a lot of different issues uh, through different, um, you know, years where there were, uh, uh, you know, just the different legislators, the different governors, that sort of thing. Is there a particular piece of legislation that you feel extra proud of? And was it because it was so hard to get through or just the impact that it had? Kind of unpack that for us a little bit. Great question. There are a few bills that, I, that I'm extremely proud of. Um, getting rid of civil asset forfeiture. Um, I worked on that for almost mm-hmm. five years, you know, and it was a step-by-step process. Uh, motorcycle lane filtering. Um, that took me four years to get done. Um, this veteran suicide prevention pilot program this session um, you know, it's anything, any bills that we can make a serious impact uh, upon citizens is I'm, I'm really proud of. I'm grateful for our, uh, uh, the former 
President Dave Kopp for allowing me to take co-lead on the, the nunchucks bill a few years ago um, and all the bills that, that expand freedom in our state. You know, it, it's um, that that bill was fun um, uh, because I actually um, I brought I bought I went to Family Dollar and bought these toy nunchucks in red and blue. And when went into committee, I handed them all out to the Democrats and the Republicans in their color. And I said, well, now that you're holding them, you're a felon. So, because of the strict language of the law. So that was, that made it easier for us to get across, mm-hmm. but it was, uh, um, that was a fun bill and, and proud to have worked on that as well. Wow. Very clever. I like that. That was great. Um, Don't try that with guns. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I actually have, um, because of uh, one of the bills that we had this year uh, that Representative Bliss introduced uh, about, you know, uh, uh, training for schools for safety for kids, um, no touch and walk away, get an adult. Um, I actually went and bought a, uh, a, a practice plastic pistol to show um for next session so. uh i i think that that's an important thing because you know if we aren't teaching kids how to be safe around guns which age appropriate a lot of it is exactly what you said if you see it leave it alone get an adult you know and then hopefully the adult has some training you know that they know how to handle it safely and um yeah it kind of brings me to my next question i think because you know, Arizona has been fortunate that for many years we've had governors who were friendly towards the Second Amendment. Um, Governor Doug Ducey, I felt, was a little squishy on on the topic. Um, but now our current uh, governor is Katie Hobbs, and she's a Democrat. And I don't know why having the title Democrat automatically makes you anti-gun. It just boggles my mind that we've come to um, this place in our our nation, but that uh, unfortunately is where we are. And she has vetoed every good piece of legislation that you and I have worked on together uh, this legislative session. And we're not talking about, you know, somebody came up with some idea, jotted it on a, a cocktail napkin and try to get it passed as a bill bills grow through rigorous uh vetting before they can ever get to a governor's desk and for her to just be vetoing left right and center it's um you know it's politically driven it's frustrating for those of us that have worked on the bills and i guess what i want to ask you is is there a way around that? Is there any way that we can unpoliticize the issue so that we really are just protecting our citizenry with good legislation, even if the word gun happens to be in it? That's that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I, I try to work on language um, in, in everything we do. Uh, you know, words matter. Um, good legislation will always be good legislation, no matter what side of the aisle it's from. And I've seen some really good bills come from Democrats that aren't heard. And I've seen some really good bills from Republicans that aren't signed. 
Um, so, and I was extremely disappointed in, in seven of our bills getting vetoed in April. That's more in one month than I've had in 10 years combined. Oh. Um, but I, I think we just have to keep fighting for the members of our organizations that we represent and, and make better arguments and, you know, better persuasive arguments. You know, that, 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 that's, I, I think that's the thing. So that leads to a question I have for you. Without naming any names, Michael, are there some uh, politicians, especially in Arizona, that just won't listen, that you just get so frustrated that you won't even go in their office? Um, no names. Yes, um, there are a few. Um, there are a few that are, are very antagonistic. Um you can look at my record and, and see me defeating their bills because, um, you know, people say, well, you're petty. Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> you piss me off. You know, it happens. Uh, you know, I'm a Marine. Um, there's a quote about Marines, you know, no better friend, no worse enemy. So, um, you know, if you if you can make if you can say why you voted no on something or, and articulate that in, in an intellectual manner, I don't hold it against you. Um, if you vote no on something just because, yeah, um, we're going to have issues. And, and I've killed some bills uh, or gotten some bills killed, decent bills from different legislators that pissed me off. Yeah, no, I, I definitely hear you there. I just don't quite understand why, you know, you, you put yourself in office to serve the people. And if the people want something, the thing is, they're listening to people that are not educated they don't understand what they're screaming and protesting about they listen to those very few and now the whole rest of the state has to suffer or the country has to suffer because of a few and it's got to be frustrating it would just be something i don't know if it's the advisors that work with these politicians that are blocking insight because i'll give you an example like mccain mccain used to be pro-gun I, as far as I remember, when I was a kid, I mean, my dad was into, into gun rights and, you know, he had talk, talked to him and they got along good and they passed a lot of bills. McCain changed. And I honestly feel that it must be his advisors that kept influencing him to make these changes. Actually, actually, you make a good point, Danny. Um, you know, Senator McCain didn't change. He stayed where he was at. Um, still on the right um, of that but that political spectrum moved. So instead of being middle right, he became just off center right. Mm -hmm. So, and we have to remember that those loudest critics are at both ends of the spectrum. They're five to 10% and they're the loudest. That 80 to 90% in the middle that can compromise, we usually keep our mouth shut. Mm -hmm. that, you know, that is true. You know, I mean, we have, uh, when I was in D.C., you had people uh, protesting at the at the Supreme Court. And every time I go to D.C., there's always somebody protesting at the Supreme Court. We see um, on the left, we have, you know, we call them, you know, radicals or, or things like that. Well, you have it on the right as well, you know, and they think they're right on everything and they don't listen. Mm. They don't come to the table and say, okay, what can we what can we agree on so we get good stuff passed they're die hard that you know it's my way or the highway you know what i won't work with you 
And that's, yeah. that's the hardest thing. And, and we have politicians who are like that as well. That's a shame. It is. And, you know, we kind of danced around this topic, but there are times when there's really good legislation, but it ends up getting killed or, or not supported. Maybe that's a better way to say it because, you know, let's say uh, a Republican who is fiscally conservative is just like, it, it's the money piece. I don't want to say yes to spending more money, but I like the bill. Is that something that maybe the next legislative session you can massage the bill a little bit or, or how do you navigate something like that? If it's, if it's my bill uh, and I believe in clean bills, I don't like you know, getting a bill introduced and working on a bill that needs amendments. Right. Uh, it's rare that uh, any of my bills will need an amendment. Mm -hmm. I may compromise a little bit if, if a stakeholder has an issue with a certain part, we can, we can adjust that. Uh, but there's never any major changes to, to the legislation that, that I've written um, over the years. Uh, I, I do my due diligence uh, for my clients to make sure that it's a clean bill because clean bills get passed. Um, I've seen, you know, there's a lot of talk about our environment mm -hmm. and the, how bees are, are dying off. There is, there was a bill a few years ago by an extremely progressive Democrat to a lot of the pesticides that are used in our state is three different chemicals and one of those chemicals kill hives mm. even with the other two chemicals it's still a good pesticide taking outlawing that one pet one chemical out of arizona and because he was so progressive and so antagonistic um, towards republicans they wouldn't even hear the bill mm. and i went to him i said this is a great bill how can i help you he says, well, if they're not going to listen to it, I don't care. Wow. Oh, That's it, frustrating. It, it's extremely frustrating because, you know, I told him, I said, look, I'll, I'll do this pro bono. Wow. <laughs> you know? And I do a lot. Um, uh, my veterans issues, uh, veterans policies, and, and a lot of the motorcycles, I'm, I'm compensated very smallly for, um, more minimally for, uh, for motorcycle issues. Um, I do all my veteran policy stuff pro bono. So wow. it's uh, That's fantastic. I do what I can, but it's, it's, we need, we need good legislation in Arizona. And that's, that's where my goal is at. Well, I don't know how you do everything. A lot of stuff pro bono because everywhere I go, I see you, Michael. <laughs> and and I, I'm thinking, why is he here? You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm glad to see it. Don't get me wrong, but it's like you are covering so many things. And, and the other thing I see is you like Cheryl, you could talk to a wall and that wall is going to talk back. <laughs> and it's amazing. I wish I had that. I wish I had that, but you it's great. You have two of us in the same house. That'd be, oh, but, that'd but be impossible. I know she's been hanging around you because she's, she's a lobbyist for me. I mean, she is like, <laughs> she's doing what you do to the legislature to me and talk about budget cuts and all these other laws that she's creating. It's great. Right. Right. I'm glad I'm glad I could help. Oh, it's right. no problem. It's <laughs> oh no problem. my gosh. But anyway, uh, you know, at the start of this, I said, 
EPIC, really it's EPIC uh, policy group. What is that? It's an acrostic. Um, it came out of a book I read uh, many years ago uh, by Leonard Sweet. Uh, and uh, EPIC stands for E is, is experiential, experiencing the process. Uh, P is participatory, getting people involved in the process. Uh, I is imagination, thinking outside the box, being a solutionary. And uh, uh, C is Christ-driven. Um, so awesome. everything that we have to do is kind of, you know, gives glory to God. So. Awesome. Awesome. That's, that's amazing. I think we need more people with that mindset and that heart set. Yeah. Um, Christ and thinking out of the box. So, I mean, it's so hard to get people to do that anymore. So true. Well, it requires critical thinking skills, which I don't think they're even teaching in our schools anymore. It's craziness. Yeah. Um, but we do need to start wrapping up. Why? I don't but know we know why. him. We... I don't want to. I could talk to Michael all day. But um, you were in D.C. recently. You did talk with uh, Mark Kelly, Senator Mark Kelly. I know you had planned to talk to our Senator Kirsten Cinema, uh, um, and sometimes we we don't get to see the the people themselves. We talk to their their aides, and that's powerful as well. Um, what? Just tell us a little bit about your adventure in the swampland. <laughs> this is just to, to let people know that you can get more done by talking to those 22 to 24 year old staffers than you can by talking to the actual uh, congressmen or, or, or senators themselves, because um, they refer back to the staffers for policy briefs and things like that. So, um, my my trip was super productive. I met with uh, 27, I had 27 different meetings from eight different states. Um, I was very, very able to carry a bill idea that helps our veterans tremendously that um, I, I wasn't even aware of until recently. Uh, we discussed the Faster Lives program, uh, Faster Safe Lives program um, in all those offices, uh, multiple motorcycle transportation infrastructure policy issues. Uh, it, it was really good, uh, you know, and, you know, I say that, that I, I met with the 27 different offices. Well, it, it's, I met with their staffers and there were, there were a few legislators that I've met with. I had a, a half an hour meeting with Congresswoman Lesko, uh, another half an hour meeting with uh, Congressman Gosar, uh, you know, running into, you know, people on the street in DC that I never thought I would. Dude, I ran into to Sheriff Mark Lamb walking down the street with him, him and his wife. So um, it's like, wow, can't go anywhere without knowing somebody. That's awesome. It's so true. And that is the power of showing up. Um, you know, with the D.C. project, we do our annual fly-ins to D.C. and you know, meet with legislators, staffers, whoever we can get appointments with. And, you know, we've every once in a while, somebody will give us some some criticisms like, well, what do you think you're really going to accomplish there? And it's like, you have no idea until you show up. You can step into an elevator and have a two minute conversation with somebody that ends up having reverberating impacts later down the road. I, that actually happened. Um, there was a, a congressman uh, from Nevada and I was uh, lobbying for uh, motorcycle anti-profiling a few years ago. And he got in the elevator and goes, well, why are you here? Serious elevator pitch, two stories, elevator pitch. 
he signed on to the bill the next day. Whoa. So, uh, you know, you have Powerful. to be, you have to be prepared. Uh, Diana Mueller and, uh, and the ladies from DC project were absolutely fantastic in DC. Um, we got a, a Congress, uh, a congressional office in Florida uh, to, I think they're going to propose or drop a resolution uh, for school safety and recognizing the faster saves life program as being good, which is great because Florida has a guardian program. And this is going to show that faster saves lives is, is better than the guardian program and less expensive. Yeah. So, and encouraging, you know, all states to, to implement it. So, and the guardian program works too. Right. And so yes. now we've got something that's better. That, that's awesome. Yes. Yeah. Hey, and the ladies from the DC project are absolutely fantastic. So. Well, that was fun for me. I'm at home texting between <laughs> The different parties, like helping you guys coordinate to find each other, made me feel a little less FOMO that I wasn't there. Uh, but there was a lot of FOMO on my part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I met, met Jim Irvine too um, from the Faster Safe Flights program and, and great guy. He so. is. He is. And I mean, all so many of my favorite people were all together doing work that is invaluable. Uh, to saving the lives of our children, to saving our rights for the next generation. And I just appreciate all of you. So as we are wrapping up, Michael, you do so many things. You wear so many hats. How can people reach out to you, follow the work you do? Again, mention your blog because you, you really put some very thoughtful things on that blog as well. Uh, Epic Policy Group, all one word on Facebook and Instagram. Um, at Infanzen, uh, spelling out my last name on Twitter. Um, I also have uh, the blog infanzen.blogger.com. Um, I have a, a weekly newsletter that I try to put out updating some legislative policy issues here in Arizona called the Copper Dome Update. Um, just go to the epicpolicygroup.com website and uh, send an email to sign up. It's free. That is fantastic. And, and those looking uh, that are not watching the video, uh, his last name is spelled I-N-F-A-N-Z-O-N. Perfect. And um, you can look him up there. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for all you do, Michael. It's an honor and a privilege and a joy to get to work with you and, to, and a blessing to know you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate Mike, it. Next time I see you, I'm going to give you some uh, hints on how to talk to influence <laughs> Cheryl. Help me out a little bit, okay? Um. <laughs> Sign a contract and I'll uh, I'll be uh, your lobby. I'm glad I'm glad to help. <laughs> like I'm glad it. to help. Nice seeing you, Mike. Thank you very much. Thank you guys. Bye bye. Bye bye. Oh man, that's great, babe. He he's great. And you know, I have a hard time because, and and I I'm going to use him as an example. I want to be like him. Yeah. And, you know, I do label people like Democrats are the bad, and the Republicans are the good. And we really, how am I ever going to get to talk to a Democrat to really have a level conversation with that thinking? Mm -hmm. But it's hard. It is hard. Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm going to do it because, like, there are certain politicians that I just, I don't even know if I could be in the same room with them. But how am I ever going to influence right. one? I'm not going to do it by doing what I'm doing right now. Right. Well, let's be fair. I mean, there are some people who have the big R on their chest that nope, as no people, 
we wouldn't particularly we got for, we right? got we so went to it's we as went, individual as the person we went to washington dc and we met two republicans i will not say their name they're not long, no longer in office that gave us smoke and screen and i really was happy to to have known them and go to have the meeting i was very proud of that and then when i saw them later and i really got to know what they were doing i was embarrassed that i even had any so so yes republicans there's some republicans the same way yeah so just you know keeping the open door policy like yeah. michael was talking about is important it's good to to have people in your life that will check you on that yeah. you know and and make sure that you're not getting just too black and white in your thinking um and just like businesses you know yeah. if it, you know we have our auction house and we were public open to the public and every once in a while i'd put a stab in at a politician and my daughter would come and screaming at me hey you can't do that blah 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 and i say yes i can it's my auction house i can do what i want they brought me insight mm -hmm. because here's the thing. If I don't address that, then I don't have an enemy. Yeah. Okay. But as soon as I label somebody yeah. and I say something, you know, there may be 99 people that are Republicans in there, but that one Democrat, now I've made him make a decision whether to leave or never come here again. Mm -hmm. And so what gain did I have by doing it? Right. I had no it felt gain. good for a second, it, right? Not, not even to that. It didn't. It just, they say. it just, there's no gain in it. So mm -hmm. um, I, I really feel bad about that. I mean, and there are some Democrats that I like. I'll, I'll just put that on record. I think some of the things that they think about and are trying to do are good. But, I, you know, it's, it's just, just be good with everybody. You know? I think it's, you know, again, with the advocacy that we do with the Second Amendment, there, with it, let's say the DC project, because that's where I work the most with people across the spectrum, the political spectrum. There could be 99 things we don't agree on. Mm -hmm. If we agree on the Second Amendment and they're working just as hard as I am, then that's where we're going to spend our time and our focus and, and work on building that relationship. Right. Um, if, if I focus on the 99, now I've lost this huge opportunity because especially if you have people who are registered as Democrats who are for the second amendment, when they go and speak to their legislators, they have a much louder voice than I will ever have, yeah. right? Because they can go to their legislators and say, look, I voted for you. I am in your district. I am your constituent, and here's the thing. I value my rights to own and keep and bear arms. Um, that's important, and if we just but, close that whole door, we are cutting our nose off to spite but you're But I think we're saying it wrong when okay. we say Second Amendment. Really, it's the Constitution. If, if, if all the politicians would follow the Constitution, they'd have all the respect they could get from me. Yeah. Just the Constitution alone. Follow yeah. the Constitution. I mean, it's not just the Second Amendment if they follow all the Constitution. And that is the thing. It's almost like we need to have, I don't know, you know, you have constitutionist and a non-constitutionalist. Exactly. If we had those two, it'd be so much easier to divide and say, oh, you're not a constitutionist and get out of the country. You know, I mean, this this country <laughs> is based on the Constitution. Right, you're firing them all the way. Yeah, well, out of you know, seriously. I mean, the first mm -hmm. thing we should say when we meet a politician, whether Republican or Democrat, do you follow the Constitution? Yeah. I. I mean, how many are going to stutter? How many are going to stutter and say some of it? But 
-hmm. Well, you know, and so that that's where we really should. I'm I'm not a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm a constitutionalist. I believe in the Constitution. If you follow the Constitution, then I'll I'll respect you and encourage you all the way. But if you're not, then you're you, I have no business with you. Right. I, I mean, every single elected official takes an oath to protect and preserve the Constitution. So they should all be constitutionalists, right. but, but they're right. not. I think that's the dividing line. And we should focus on that more and that hire with our vote people who we have vetted on that platform. So anybody that voted votes against the Second Amendment is not a constitutionalist. Even if they piece it out, yeah. if, they, if they make exceptions, there yeah. is no exceptions to the Constitution. Right. The butts out there. Right. And I'm so a, I'm a gun owner. So that way we could go on forever. But you know what? So today, after learning what I've learned and said what I said, I'm praying for all the politicians. Nice. Even okay. the ones you don't like. I, I no, I'm not. I'm I like I'm praying for all of them. That's great. All right. Well, thank you so much to our awesome guest, Michael and Fanson. Thank you to all of our listeners, wherever there is internet service on this globe. We have people who are tuning in, who are hungry for this information, who want to know more about our subject matter experts. And we appreciate you. If you want to rewatch this video or go and watch any of our videos from over the years, go to gunstreamer.com youtube any place you find your your video content but be sure to please click the subscribe and the notifications button because not only will you get new content uh post haste but you also will be telling that platform that this is the kind of content that's important to you and hopefully will be less inclined to get culture canceled yes right um so please do that. If you want to listen to the audio only version, because maybe you're out for a Sunday drive or cutting the grass or whatever it is you might be doing, go to our website, gunfreedomradio.com. Click the on demand tab and binge listen to your heart's content, darling. Darling. Love it. All right. If you want to learn more about every guest we've ever had, photos, bios, links to their work, go to the guest tab. There's a huge body of uh, information there. And when you spend time there, we don't hate that. All right. Until next time, we are going to pray for yes, everyone. Nation, yep. Pray for our elected officials and our leaders, even the ones we don't like, maybe especially the ones we don't like. And um, what else? Well, we should probably pray for the teachers too. I agree. That they, that they get the wisdom to save our country. Like it. All right. Be good to each other. Have a great week. And God bless. Bye-bye.